As we continue on through the book of Luke, um, today we're going to Luke chapter 2. And so I encourage you, if you've got a Bible to open that, or if you've got an app on your phone to open that, but that you would have it, not just on the screen, but you would have it in front of you. That way, as you go back and read through it and look at it later, uh, you can see what God's speaking to you and sharing. But as we go through Luke chapter 2 today, verses 21 through 52, uh, today's sermon title is, The Truth is in the Details. Uh, That shouldn't be a question mark up there, but that's me. Uh, putting a question mark up there. Why? I could make some sermonizing of it, but I made a mistake. How about I just say that, okay? The truth, the truth is in the details. No, the truth is in the details. So there you go, all right? So think about this. How many of us are detail people? How many of us kind of just maybe fly a little bit by the seat of our pants? You know what I have realized? What I have realized is this. Um, Details are highly important. And when you tend to not pay attention to the details, you tend to miss some things. Um, I am mechanically declined, uh, not inclined, declined, okay? Um, So I'm not good with tools. I'm not good with doing things. um, But that's one of those moments that I still wanna jump in and help and I still wanna do things. Well, I was putting together some bookshelves uh, at the church at one point in time, early as I got here and was putting this together. And I started to look at everything and I was like going, I can do this. I mean, this is simple enough. And as I began to put it together, I mean, it held books. I just happened to put the particle board on the wrong end and I had messed this up and then there was some stuff all over the place. I mean, it held books, but it was not pretty. I mean, not pretty at all. And so every time people would come in, the guys would come in and look at my bookshelves, they were like going, it's <laughs> pretty good, John, right? There'd be a lot of you know, loving mocking in that moment. Now, again, they, they did the job, but there are some things that we don't wanna just make it through. We wanna find a confidence in what's going on that we can have the whole thing all the way through, have a great confidence in what's taking place. I'll give you one other example of why details matter. Professor, end of the year, told the students, be prepared for everything that's going on. This is gonna be your final exam, be ready. It's all laid out. So they'd studied and crammed and everything else and they got into the classroom and the professor looked at them and handed them a huge test, thick. Everybody's eyes were like, oh my goodness. And they said, he goes, I'd like for you to read through the test and then you can start, but read through it. Sat down, many people started to put their name on it and started on question one. As they went through this, Everybody was scrambling. Nobody paid attention to what the professor said. And as time was winding down, they had gotten through maybe a fourth of the test. And everybody's panicked and everybody's scrambling. At the end of the test, the professor with like 30 seconds left finally looked at him and said, "Um, you're, you're not going to complete the test your way. And he said, I'd like for everybody to turn to the back of the page. So I turned to the back of the page and 
It was written on there. I had you prepare, because it's not about a grade, it's about knowing the information. Have a great summer. All of you have a 100 on your final. Just sign your paper and turn it in. Nobody read that. You know how many people could have just signed it at the very end and turned it in? Don't take the test. Do you know how many times you and I put ourselves in bad situations because we're going to do it without paying attention to the details? Do you know it? We get ourselves in all kinds of situations because we don't pay attention to the details. When we go and we look at Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22, let's start to read through this about the details And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, meaning Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what he had said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's stop there for a moment. So here we have Jesus, and as he is uh, born, he's coming to the temple, and according to what's taking place here, uh, it's eight days that he's supposed to be circumcised according to the law. They bring him in for dedication, they bring him in for this, and and why is this important that, that I'm letting you know these things? Because right now, Jesus, again, is God in flesh, but he is a helpless baby right now. 100%, 100%. But have you recognized right now that God ended up putting him with parents that were going to fulfill the law and take care of him in this moment? Have you thought about that? God put Jesus with Mary and Joseph who were devout in what God had revealed in making sure that he was fulfilling every part of the law. Think about this. Jesus, in order to be the perfect sacrifice for us, in order to be the perfect sacrifice, has to fulfill the law completely. Which means, not to get too blunt, 
circumcised on the eighth day. I know there's all kinds of crazy stories about Jesus, but I'm just telling you right now, as a baby, there ain't nothing he can do about that. Nothing, right? He's helpless. But God is powerful enough to put him with parents that allows him in that moment to be taken care of for what he needs to fulfill. Church, God provides. First point that we look at, God provides. When you think at times, when you look through what Jesus, or you look at what God is doing here, how is he providing? One, again, he provides godly parents for Jesus' specific moment. And how do we know they're godly? Well, the, the text gives us some clues. The Bible tells us that they are going every year to the Passover. There were three feasts that the Jews were commanded to keep that was found in Exodus 23. You can look at that up on your own. But there were three feasts. One was the unleavened bread or the Passover. The other one was the Feast Harvest or Pentecost. The other one was the Feast of Ingathering, also known as Booths or Tabernacles. These are three feasts that God told the people that they were to keep. It was, it was, it was a commandment that they were to keep these. We find out right here that Mary and Joseph, every single year, without fail, they attend the Passover. Every single year. Jesus, even helpless, God's providing. God's providing. The other thing is this. Well, let me say this real quick. Do you think that God knows your exact situation? Do you think God knows your exact situation? How many times do you wonder, God, where are you? Because I have found myself why am I in this situation? Sometimes we've caused it. Sometimes it's happened to us and we didn't have anything to do with it, right? And there are moments when that happens and we go, God, where are you? Either I have done a stupid thing and I am in a deep pit and I don't know how to climb out of this or the world is against me and God must not love me because I am hurting. I am suffering. This is difficult. Church, I wanna just remind us that how you feel has nothing to do with how God is at work at all. How you feel has nothing to do with how God is at work. God absolutely loves you. Why do I know that? Because you're here breathing. God does not make accidents. He doesn't make an accident. I had a, had a woman that came up to me many years ago. It had messed with her for years. Her parents had looked at her and told her many times, we didn't want you. You were an accident. You were never meant to be here. She had taken that and that had become her truth. She was miserable, depressed. Then all of a sudden, began to take her back and I was like going, but what does God say? 
You've let that person dictate your reality, but what's God said? God told Jeremiah before you were ever born, I formed you, before you were ever formed in the womb, I knew you. There are no mistakes. What year, there is no person who's a mistake because God gives life. We play a part, but I'll just be real blunt. Dana and I played our part for seven years. I thought we had read the manual wrong. Couldn't figure out what was going on. I was like going, okay, this is what's supposed to happen. Why can't we have children? What is going on? You know what I realized? God's timing, God takes care of things for our situation. But what about your situation? You may say, well, Sean, I've wanted kids forever, but I'm not, I, I don't have any children. And that's what I, you're missing the point of how God provides. God loves you, God cares. You keep comparing your life to other people instead of the life that God's given you of saying, I will take care of you and provide for exactly what you need because he does that. He does that. He promises to provide. He promises to provide. And I'll even say this. The hardest thing about it And this is gonna go into the next point, but I'm gonna say it now. Sometimes God's not on, well, all the time, God's not on our timing, right? I prayed, God should answer. Anybody done that? How many of y'all have quit praying because God didn't answer your prayers? And can anybody be honest? Can anybody be honest? Pastor, you can't raise your hand. I'm church. There have been moments where I said, what's the point of praying? What's the point of praying? Because I, God lovingly convicted me, corrected me, rebuked me and said, Sean, I'm not a genie. I'm your God and it's relationship. Will you trust me? Sometimes we need to be reminded God provides his timing is just different than ours. But do you trust him? Do you trust him to provide? Here, Jesus, even though he's God in flesh, he's got to fulfill the law completely even as a baby and it's taken care of. God provides. And then this. Notice that he's coming at Passover. Jesus, John the Baptist is gonna say this later uh, in the book of John. But John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's something that should alert our, eye, our minds right now. You and I can never come to God on our own and think that somehow he loves us because of what we've done. God chooses to love you by what he's done, not by what you have done. You can't do enough to make God love you. You can't do it. If you try to say, I went to church and I've given money and I, I've been to church my entire life, um, God's like, so? I know what's in your heart and your mind all the time. That doesn't look anything like me. If you've ever read through the law 
It's amazing when you read through the law that again, as Gentiles, we're not under. But I love the fact that God's given us the Old Testament because when you read through the law, it's crazy the things that you've got to keep. It's nuts. I mean, like some of the law that they had is they're not supposed to have clothing that has a mixture of it. It has to be all one thing. Can't be cotton and polyester and everything. It had to be one thing. No mixing of everything. That's it. Well, Sean, that's just, that's, why do you think God said that? I mean, everything he's doing is alluding to it. You've got to be pure, nothing mixed in, all the way down to even what you wore. Now, if you use the law in order to make yourself feel good, but if you use the law and say, God, I can't keep any of this whatsoever, we have a, God provided a sacrifice for us to make us right. He provided for us a sacrifice. Thus, if God provides, we should seek to be obedient because God loves us. Let me say this again, church. We should seek to be obedient, not to be loved by God, but because we are loved by God. We should seek to be obedient to the things of God and not just, I'll ask for forgiveness. What God wants is a heart that desires to seek him and be obedient because we are loved by God and not take salvation for granted. God provides, thus we should be obedient. Let's go on. The second part is this, the second point. God fulfills. God fulfills. In this life right now, we are seeking fulfillment. A couple of things we look at of how God fulfills. One, at the end of Malachi, it's at the end of Malachi. We talked about today, Rich. We talked at the end of Malachi where John the Baptist has promised to come. End of Malachi. End of Malachi. You can read it. The last little bit says that Elijah the prophet is going to show up. One that's like Elijah is going to show up. And that's how, Elijah, that's how Malachi ends, the book of Malachi. And then you know how long it takes. You know what the, the time is between that and Jesus showing up or John the Baptist showing up? Anybody know the years? Four centuries. Four centuries. People that Malachi wrote to are dead. I mean, crazy. But church, here's what I'm gonna tell you. If God says it, he's not a liar and he will bring it to pass. When God begins to move in your life, when God's moving in your life, I wanna encourage you on something. It's going to feel hopeless. It's going to seem hopeless. It's going to seem like, what's the point? And none of that has to deal with faith. Faith is the confident expectation that if God says it, then regardless of how it feels or seems, I'm going to put my trust in him and not in what I see. I'm going to trust in the moment that what God's calling me to do is a relationship to trust him and draw close to him. Because I don't know about you, but I have walked, I've been a Christian now since I was at least 17. And do you know how many times that I have gone on 
autopilot instead of actual faith in Christ? Do you know what I mean by that? You know what I mean by going on autopilot? I go to church, but I just go to church because I'm supposed to go to church. Or I go to church because I don't want to feel guilty, right? Because if I don't go to church, I'm sure Jesus is beating me over the head. What's wrong with you? You know, it's different when all of a sudden that I know that it's commanded, again, don't forsake the fellowship, and I choose to go because I want to experience with God what it is in this relationship. It all changes. When I pray because you're supposed to pray before you eat, but then I'm not, am I really seeking God or am I trying to make sure I'm a good witness to all my people around me? I want to be a witness. You know what? You can be a witness. Your witness is not about what you do. It's who you know. As you know Christ, you will do the things of Christ. But if you're not with Christ and you're not really seeking him and you're worried about being an influence, you will make people twice the sons of hell. I'm just gonna be blunt with you. When you don't make it about your relationship with Christ and you're only worried about this stuff out here, you can go through the motions, but that's not life transforming. That's not life transforming at all. But to be in faith, in faith with God, where I trust you in relationship. I legitimately know that you're the living God and I do this based on relationship of walking with you. I'm telling you, it changes how we walk with God. Autopilot, it don't get you nowhere, but we struggle with it. Here, we see God, he fulfills his prophecies John the Baptist, things with Jesus all the way through. Every prophecy in the Old Testament, 1,500 years, every prophecy that's been thrown out, one after the other. Now, it takes time, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Trade it. Frustrating, just like that sentence in that word. You can laugh, Rebecca. It's all good. So, but God, his timing is not ours, but he always fulfills his promises. Can you trust and wait on God? I'm asking you a legitimate question. Can you trust and wait on God even when it seems like he's not showing up? Can you change your mindset by asking God to do it and say, Lord, it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't seem like it, but I'm gonna live in trust of you. You're gonna be here. You're gonna be here. That's what he's asking us to do. Again, he fulfills his promises. He fulfills his prophecies. He made a promise. He spoke legitimately. Now, it doesn't say that he did this to Anna, but he did to Simeon. Simeon is here in the temple, hanging out, and he's been promised before you die, you're gonna see the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel is the Messiah. That's been promised. That's consolation of Israel. You're not gonna die till you see the Messiah. That's a specific one that was for Simeon. And you know the crazy thing that Simeon did? Simeon's gotten old. He's gotten old. And it seems like, well, maybe God, maybe I heard wrong. Maybe this is, maybe this is, again, the Bible says that Simeon was waiting with prayers and seeking. And when Jesus showed up, think about this. When the baby showed up, it's not like all of a sudden the Joseph and Mary are walking in and all of a sudden Jesus goes, look, Simeon, it's me. Okay, it doesn't happen. That was not the first miracle. It did not happen. 
Simeon was so in tune with God that he was able to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Did you know that the Pharisees and Sadducees who were in the Torah every single day read it every single day, did their duties every single day, could not see God when he showed up. Couldn't even see God in front of them. That should be a warning to us as a church. If you're doing your devotion and it's your checklist about you, instead of drawing closer to God to be in intimacy and obedience and to love him, you need to repent and change why you're doing devotion. If you're coming to church and it's not about seeking after what God wants to do, if you're coming here and just saying, well, I didn't get anything out of the sermon today. I'm sorry, that wasn't my fault. That wasn't the music's fault. That was your heart. You're off. And you're not seeking after God. I got saved at the most boring revival I'd ever been at in my entire life. Guy was boring, dry. I was like going, oh, can we just get out of here? Had nothing, that man was faithful to God, but I'm gonna tell you, it had nothing to do with his entertainment value or if he said anything. It was about encountering God in that moment. I encountered God in the most boring moment of my life because he's that real. And think about this, in the way of fulfilling. If you think about Simeon and you think about Anna, Anna, in some ways it says that she's 84, in some says that she's she's 100. The way that the Greek may lay out in this moment is the fact that she had been married for seven years and then she had been in the temple for 84. That math doesn't work. But somehow in the midst of all that, she could have been there a long time. Do you know how many times that and I've heard this from people. I'm speaking, I'm speaking to some of you all right now. Of, you're retired and you've gotten older. And right now you're like going, you know what? What am I supposed to do now with my life? What's my meaning? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Do you, church, I'm gonna share this in love. Your purpose is not a job. Your purpose is not grandkids. Your purpose, not, your purpose is to be with God. And with that, he will fulfill you. Even if you think I've wasted my best years, God has a way of redeeming and making your best years right now. Right now. We can never, ever, ever not be redeemed of time. Can you think about this moment? Can you think about this? Anna, Anna waited in prayer and waited and waited and waited And you would think she would say, I'm gonna do something else. I'm gonna do something. This this has been a waste of time. Why did I waste all my years? Why did I do? It wasn't about what she was doing. It was who she was doing it for. And because she was doing it for her Lord, when she saw the Messiah, she was singing and celebrating. I wonder what those people were thinking about that woman in the middle of the temple. I don't know what song she was singing. But she was singing, she was telling, she was proclaiming. 
She became fulfilled in that moment. Her life had purpose and meaning. You know the reason why your life doesn't have purpose and meaning? I'll tell you why. Because you think it's about, you're gonna get meaning out of your job. You think it's gonna get meaning out of your material. You think that you're gonna get meaning out of somebody that loves you. You think you're gonna get meaning out of all those things. And all those things can be nice, but I'm gonna tell you, you will never get meaning until you wait upon the Lord and it's about him and relationship. You'll never find meaning. You'll go from one job to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, not because you get better opportunity, but because, well, I don't have purpose out of this. You're never gonna find purpose because you were made to be with God. That's it. Now, I say that, how hard is that? Am I gonna be honest? It's hard, is it not? It's super hard. But I think that's part of the relationship and waiting and being with God. It's part of God growing us, maturing us, sitting in this moment saying, Lord, how do I learn to be intimate, to be obedient, to love you? Lord, teach me. We find fulfillment. Simeon found fulfillment. All the other people missed it. But Simeon was able to say, here's the Messiah. He is going to bring about great things and he's going to bring about terrible things because of how people are going to choose to respond. But I can die in peace because my Lord kept his promise and I've been with him. I think there's something that we miss in this moment. You should trust and be patient. If you know that God keeps and provides, you should be obedient. If you know that God fulfills, you should trust and be patient. Be patient, wait upon the Lord. He never fails, his timing is perfect. Wait upon the Lord. Again, in Luke 2.39, it says, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, again, they lived out the faith, they did what was obedient, they made sure that, you know, that Jesus was taken care of here. They returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, verse 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And when he went down to them, then came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and man. Looking at the details, God provides, God fulfills. Our point three, Jesus demonstrates. Jesus demonstrates. So here they are. They've gone to, again, Feast of the Passover. 
They do what's required. And then Mary and Joseph head back with the group. And they get a day away before they realize that they have lost Jesus. A day. I don't feel half as bad if I've lost my kids in Walmart. You know what I mean? I don't feel half as bad in that moment. They get an entire day. And all of a sudden, you seen Jesus? No, have you seen Jesus? I thought he was with you. Where's he at? Oh! Then you've got to go back a day to travel. I can't imagine what they are feeling. I can't imagine what they're going through. And as they start to search, there's Jesus sitting with the rabbis. He's asking questions that are profound. And he's getting information at the age that he's supposed to of a young man. And Mary comes up and in great distress, is like going, why did you do this to me? Where are you? What, what are you doing? Don't you know we were worried sick? Now, it doesn't say in the Bible, that's just conjecture, but I remember my mom saying certain things to me. I can only imagine so much. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus, as a young man, looks at Mary and says, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know that this is where I would be? See, Jesus tells us something that we need to be recognizing. My ultimate loyalty needs to be to God. My ultimate loyalty needs to be to God. Now, let me say what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean you get to use God as an excuse to absolve yourself of other responsibilities because sometimes that's been abused. Sometimes that's been like, well, God's told me to do this and really God didn't tell you, you just didn't wanna take care of your other responsibilities. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. But when you have a loyalty to God, you have to start right now. God, what is it in this moment that I need to be faithful to you? There are things right now in workplace, in life, that there's compromises that we are making as Christians and we are compromising because our loyalty is not to Jesus and Jesus first. Even at times as a church, if we don't watch it, if we don't watch it, we will make it about trying to get everybody into Valley Creek instead of everybody into the kingdom. If you're a guest here today, I want you to know as Valley Creek, we are excited. We're glad that you're here. We'd love to talk with you. If all of a sudden you're like going, I think I want this to become my church. We wanna go through what that looks like. You know what you're getting into. But I've also looked at people and told them, you know what, if we're not the church, let us help you find where God wants to plug you in. Because here's the thing. If you get where God wants you to be, the kingdom will grow, everybody's taken care of. But if we're selfish and make it about us, Again, we will destroy things. It's about Jesus and it's about the kingdom. Are you loyal to God first and foremost? 
Are you loving God above everything? First and foremost, where is your heart when it comes to God? But Jesus also demonstrates this. When he told Mary, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Because again, he was as much as it's the mystery that I don't get. He's God and man all at the same time. He's God in the fact that he kind of knows exactly who he is. And at the same point in time, he's got to grow in wisdom and stature. I don't get it, but I know that's what the Bible teaches us. But here we see this. Jesus then defers to Mary and he's obedient and goes with Mary and Joseph. That's what they want. So guess what he says? Yes, absolutely. He shows us in this moment that he doesn't break the commandment of honor your father and your mother. Jesus is perfect in what he does. He demonstrates this for us. He's obedience to his earthly parents. He's obedience to the father. And again, it shows us he increases in wisdom. Do you know the reason why we don't know sometimes enough of the faith? You remember when I told you about trying to put the bookshelves together at the beginning and how I just, simple enough, just put it together. I mean, it, it could hold books, but it wasn't that, wasn't that, wasn't that pretty. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. You know what I've realized? I've realized in Christianity, we don't want the details. Just give me salvation. I got Jesus. I'm good. And what God's wanting us is to go deeper in intimacy with him. We look at the Bible and we find out 12 verses that we like and we build an entire theology on 12 verses. I'm gonna tell you, you're, I'm not, faith in Jesus is what you need to be saved, but I'm just telling you right now, it's rickety because you're not going deeper with God. There's no faith in going with 12 verses. Faith is going back and saying, God, I wanna know you more. I wanna see what you want. I wanna understand what you're doing. I wanna walk with you more. I wanna put myself, if you call me, in uncomfortable situations, not because I like uncomfortable situations, but because if you command it, it's about faith and I will follow you. I will follow you because it's about loving God. If Jesus was asking questions and growing in the scripture, what does that say about us? If Jesus was falling under authority, that jerk boss at work who shouldn't be in that position, how are you falling under authority and respecting them? Or do you just say, well, I don't have to because they're right now, or they're wrong and I'm right. I'm gonna share with you. Unless it's unethical or life or death, sometimes, sometimes you fall under authority. Sometimes you fall under authority. Why? Because God has designed Authority. And if you are the only authority out there, basically what you've said is, I'm God. Nobody wants, you, you should not want to be in that position. God's faithful. He takes care of these things. Now, how am I gonna, I wanna share this one thing with you. 
The one thing about Christianity that we talk about is this, just so we don't get this confused. When you see about what God has done and how he provides and how he fulfills, how Jesus calls us to to take on this, he demonstrates the things we're supposed to be doing. But let me make no bones about this. Christianity is not about you trying to become a better person. Christianity is about you knowing Christ who saved you from your sins. When you know Christ, you change. You become different. And it's a journey that you continue to change because you die to self. But you recognize this. The reason why I change is not because I'm morally superior to any of you all. Some of you all, sometimes you, you look at a pastor and sometimes you look at me like I have it all figured out. Church, I'm thankful that God's allowed me to mature. I'm thankful that God's allowed me to do some things and put me, I'm telling you right now, it's like every single one of us, we daily have to die to self and draw closer in dependence upon Christ. If you are trying to become a better Christian and it's about your effort, you forgot the reason why Jesus died. He died when you were powerless. He loved you when you were unlovable. He's done it all for you that all you have to do is confess, God, I'm a wicked sinner and you chose to love me in the midst of my nastiness and God, thank you for dying for me, paying a sin I can never pay and God, all I can do is love you because you first loved me. If you've got a checklist of being a better person, you're probably a Pharisee. And you may not even mean to be, but that's what you're doing. But loving God is about, this is what he's done. He's taking care of it. So God, I'm gonna walk with you. I'm obedient, not because I'm morally superior. I'm obedient because God first loved me and I can't believe he loved me that much. To lay down his own life. What do you need to hear from God today in your own personal life? What do you need to hear from God today? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, I pray right now that what you are doing in our lives, Lord, is real and that we see it as real. Father, that you are challenging us, convicting us to truly draw into a deep relationship of faith. To not think that our life is ours. Lord, to not be upset because things have not gone the way that we wanted. When God, we forget that Lord, we're here to live for you and not for us. God, forgive us when we keep trying to find fulfillment in what we do and who we love, or who loves us. Father, forgive us that we look at other people and blame them instead of God sometimes looking at our own lives and realizing that, Lord, you allow some of the most ugly circumstances into our life. You've not caused them. Lord God, you have allowed them And Lord, you allowed them not to destroy us or to be beaten down. Lord, you've done that so that we would draw closer to you and realize you're in control even when it seems out of control. Father, we love you and we praise you and it's in the name of Jesus. Now God's people said,
Amen.